Hello, and welcome to the Strictly Personal Podcast. I'm John Paul Batum, your host. Our theme, our message is intended to be a wide open forum, hopefully thought provoking, and at the very least, entertaining. My father, the late John Batum, Hall of Fame broadcaster, started the Strictly Personal Commentary Show back in the late 90s. This is my attempt to keep that going. Throughout the many podcasts, I will be highlighting different audio clips of his broadcast history, and I hope you'll enjoy that. Our commentary, relevant and interesting, all the while we'll be hosting different guests along the way, and all of the commentary provided is strictly personal. And with all that, let's get started. Uh, Today's guest is a special guest. It's Mike Melnick. Mike Melnick and my dad did a morning show for many years in Peterborough. And so we're going to catch up with Mike and see what he's been up to. And before we do that, let's listen in on John Battle. When you look at a broadcaster uh, that is as connected to Peterborough, there were only a few names that came up. Mike Melnick would be one, and John Batum was the other. He brought a lot to the table very quickly. Uh, To me, when I was in the office hearing the regulars every day, I turned up the radio when John was talking because his voice is the so-called voice of God. Like there wasn't this social network now where you knew. It was, you turned on the radio, you knew when the sports broadcasts were. So you became familiar with them. And even though you didn't really know them, you felt you did. And even when you'd see John out in the street, he, he was like an old buddy and he may never, you've never really met him. Welcome back to the program. I hope that we've sort of tweaked your interest, maybe stirred up the old blood this morning, got things going a little bit, waiting for somebody to say, who is that guy on there with Batum? <laughs> exactly. Michael Bell! I can't believe that. I can't believe that that's guy, a, That's know? not the narrative I've been hearing. <laughs> John Batum had the best news read in all of Peterborough. I idolized him for his the way he spoke his mind and the way that he delivered the news. She was the darling of television. She was the superstar of Wimbledon. And now she can't hit her hat. Mm -hmm. What, she lost 14 out of 15 matches? Something like that. I notice you always go to the hat. (laughs) Well, I I was going to say hat size, but you see, I don't know what her hat size was, so I couldn't hit her hat. When I went to Exhibition Stadium, the first thing that I did was go into the radio booth when the Argos were playing a game there, and it was pretty cold, and it was after the Blue Jays season. And I met John Batum. And there he was, a play-by-play announcer. He welcomed me very nicely into the booth and said, Welcome to Toronto. You'll love it here. I have. Uh, I'm so happy that you're here and that they made that decision to bring you in. He said, Stand right behind me as I call this game right here. Ray is going to pass. Drops straight back. A rush on him. Steps back into the pocket. Rolls out. Look, he has to go. And he's going to go up to turns and out of bounds. And he goes out of bounds at the 29. Have you ever seen Scarecrow? There was a big, like, meth bust in town. The first words out of his mouth were, Wow, what's cooking, Peter, bro? <laughs> yeah, yeah. There's something cooking in Campbellford. And after that, he just made me feel so comfortable because he, again, was off the cuff. He kind of winged it. We know that about Batum. But he still made it conversational, made it interesting. What is that you've got on? <laughs> <laughs> I don't is know. That, it's a is that a with... remnant of a horse blanket from the racetrack out of Kawartha Downs? <laughs> and and slippers. Oh God, I don't even want to look at Colin. I was kind of intimidated by the guy. Like I, I wasn't sure if I was doing a good job. And a lot of respect for him. I came into this with a lot of respect for him as a broadcaster. And man, he's a pro. Yeah, you might. He's one of the best. It is. How are you, Paul? I'm good. I'm good. 
So I'm here with Mike Melnick, and Mike, uh, one of the things I was curious about was uh, how you got into the radio business. I got into the radio business uh, in Huntsville, Ontario, if you can believe that. Um, and I, it was a summer job, actually. I, I was, was going to say, was that something, was that an aspiration that you wanted, or? Yeah, I was a big fan of, <clears throat> I was a big fan of your dad. I was a big fan of all the jocks on CFTR and Chum back in the 60s and 70s. I mean, those guys, and it was mainly guys at that time. More, I, there were yeah. a lot of women who were on radio. Um, <clears throat> they were gods. I mean, they were, they were celebrities. I don't think people in radio today understand the star system that was there back in the 60s and 70s. These guys were definitely celebrities. And I'm sure you saw that as well when you were out and about with your dad. Yeah, it was different times back then too. It was you're right. It was a little more. Uh, there did seem to be a, a different element of celebrity uh, back then than there is today. Maybe I don't know. Uh, maybe it's just because there's yeah. more people in the business. I don't know. Yeah, no, I think there was. There was definitely a star system, and even here in Peterborough, I hear stories of guys like Sean Air and George Franks back in the '60s and '70s. Uh, you know, they would draw two or three thousand people to an event. Uh, just because they were on on the bill as MCs, or perhaps they were the featured artists, uh, and they would joke around on stage. That doesn't happen today. Yeah, I I, I can't think of anyone. Maybe Howard Stern at that level. Yeah, but uh, you know, it was different back then. Even local or small town media people were were stars or celebrities. So, you know, listening to guys like Terry Steele and Duke Roberts and John Badham, and, and back when they had great voices. Um, so that's what really got me interested in radio was, I wonder if I could do this. It just, it was, it sounded fun and I thought, so how, so how did you end up in Peterborough then? You were in Huntsville, you started there. Did you move to Peterborough or did you, oh, was yeah, it a no, station? No. No. I went to Chatham and then we went out west for a while, worked at a station your dad worked at, CKCK in Regina. Oh, okay. Uh, but before that I, I came to Peterborough from Chatham, worked here for a few years, went to Regina all of our kids were born there. And then in the late 80s, um, again, your dad played a role in this, so did Wally Mott. In the late 80s, uh, I wanted to get back to Ontario. My mom was not doing well, and um, my dad had passed away years ago, so I wanted my kids to be near their grandparents. Okay. And Don is from Ennismore, so we just wanted to get back to Ontario. And I was, I was applying to stations in Toronto, just hoping for even a... a a swing shift or something or a weekend shift and Don Miller was the program director in Peterborough of checks and what was CFMP which is now the wolf and he called me we had worked together in Peterborough a few years earlier and he said if you thought of coming back here and I thought ah oh, I've worked in Peterborough do I really <laughs> want to go back and he said Mike things are changing here we just hired John Adam I said get out of town you did <laughs> for Toronto, which I really didn't want to move to with young kids. 
and that's how I ended up in Peterborough. Again. So that became that became a good option for you. And then, so did you? Was that when uh, Dad and uh, and you hooked up at uh, the radio station right away, or how did you guys come about to work together? No, right away. I, I would see him every morning. I was doing the morning show on CFMP. That was the FM station, one hundred one point five. Right. And I, you know, I got to know him just in the newsroom in the mornings and. Uh, uh, you know, I'm I'm in awe of this guy and Wally Mott and those others, and uh, so I was kind of like a kid in a, in a candy store. Uh, I don't think they knew it, but I was like, "Holy cow!" There's John Bannum sitting there having a smoke and reading the newspaper. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. <laughs> uh, but it was, I think, in '92. So that was '88. I came back to Peterborough, and in '92, they decided to create the Wolf. And they did not think, and John was working on the AM station. He was on checks radio. Now, see, I, I, and that's kind of when I sort of started to kind of pay attention a little bit too, when he sort of, uh, started to work with the wolf a bit and, and he was doing the call of the wolf and yeah. we, we all thought that was pretty neat. I had my cottage and every time we'd drive up with the kids, we'd, we'd hear grandpa on the radio, uh, doing that. And we all thought that was pretty neat. And that's when I really started to pay attention um, right. so, so anyways, I just wanted to throw that in there. Yeah, that's where they, they hired John, hired, I mean, they probably, it was a freelance gig for him, but they took him down to a studio in Toronto, and he did all the liners for The Wolf when it was launched. Uh, but they didn't want me on The Wolf. I just didn't have the style, I guess, that they wanted for this okay. cutting-edge rock and roll station. <laughs> so they put me on the morning show on AM, Mike Cooper was doing that at the time. There's another big wait. Yeah, that's right. Cooper was there at the time. Um, so they put Coop on the morning show on the Wolf and put me on the AM station, which I took as a demotion. And who was on the AM station doing news? John Badham. So now I end up working with you know a legend I grew up listening to. So it, it was not my choice. It was their their choice. The programming people, and uh, I was disappointed at first. I thought. That's a bit of a slap in the face that you know they bring in this this other guy to take my show and put me on the AM station, but a chance to work with John made it so much better, and we just made our own show. We're not listening anyway. Management was listening to the Wolf; they were focused on that station, right. so that allowed John and I to do whatever we wanted, which was great. Well, you guys really were. Recall, you guys were like a staple in the morning. I mean, everybody that I knew was listening to you guys, and you guys had a heck of a gig going for quite a while, um, and it was we, quite entertaining. Yeah, we did. And I, I, again, this is not false modesty. It is the truth. I'm telling you, and I think I even said this, Ed. I wrote his coattails. I mean, here was this guy who was a storyteller. I mean, he wouldn't even read the script. He would, he'd have something in front of him that he'd ad-libbed the stories, and people <laughs> loved it. Yeah. And, and I just rode along. I, I, I was the guy who just filled in the blanks and kept the <laughs> show going. And, and uh, you, you know, he was so opinionated that people would get pissed off. And, <laughs> you know, it, was, it was really good. It was fun. I, I really miss that. Well, I can, I can recall times when, you know, maybe a, a day when maybe somebody called in and complained and he'd be a little grumbly about it and thought how ridiculous but, it was. But uh, I, I, I had to get a kick I out of that. you liked it. I yeah, like poking, poking the bear. <laughs> he would he would probably say, "Well, at least they're listening." <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Uh, and, and I think he raised the level of the station to the point where uh, 
the movers and the shakers in the Peterborough area would come to that show first. For example, Dalton McGinty, when he was premier, came to town and he had one media availability. And uh, who was it? I guess it was Jeff Leal, who was our MPP. Jeff brought him to our show. And I thought, well, isn't that interesting? We don't have the most listeners. The wolf dwarfs us in the number of people tuning in. But, you know, Jeff chose John to, to interview just uh, to interview Dalton McGinty for a half hour on the air live. And I thought that spoke volumes that uh, there was a level yeah. of respect. Yeah. You know? Yeah. I mean, it's a, uh, you know, I, there were some really key times that I recall my attention was grabbed by uh, the time that the Blue Jays came in and wanted to be a major partner with the radio station and, uh, they came into town, so I got an invite to that. That was quite interesting. Then there was Dad's uh, 50 years in broadcasting. We had uh, a good get-together over that. So there were some really nice uh, key key moments. There was, um, you know, the, the uh, there was times where you and he were uh, doing stuff on the streets and stuff like that. I wanted to ask you what would be your favorite memory of working with him. Oh, man. I, I can't pick one. It was just a, it was a lot of fun. You know, we had our times of, of disagreement and, and pissiness and because and, let's face it, it's six in the morning and <laughs> who's, in a, who's in a great mood at six <laughs> But uh, I just, I don't know, he just, he was great at telling stories and I would, I'd love to get him going. That was my favorite thing was just to almost play devil's yeah, advocate. Poke the bear. Like yeah, exactly. Rile <laughs> him up a bit and, uh, and he loved it and he, uh, he was so good at what he did. <laughs> You know, that golf tournament, the first one we had in his, his honor, um, you played some tapes of him uh, calling Argo games. And I thought, oh, man, I remember that. And he was just, at that point, I think in the 70s, yeah. 80s, that was his peak. Yeah, he, he was in his prime then, so, yeah. Yeah. Um, and I think that was his favorite thing. I really didn't know that till near the end. Wally and I went over to visit your dad and mom, and they were these guys are telling stories, which I just loved. I mean, they were reminiscing. And Wally said to John, he said, "You know, that's why you moved around. It wasn't because you wanted a certain radio station. You went with whatever sports team was on that station." So his number one desire was to call football or hockey, but mainly football. Yeah, and and that's I didn't realize that until Wally said it, and John agreed that that's what attracted him to different cities was a chance to, to do play by play, not so much the morning show sportscast, but rather the play by play stuff. And I've got some old clips of him uh, doing some of the games, and uh, and uh, I listen to it, and it's almost as if it's happening live. It, it just it, it he I really don't think the people that I hear on the air today are. Anywhere near what he was uh, in terms of the level, but uh, I really uh, get entertained by his his broadcast, and I'm not just saying that because he was my dad. I thought he was pretty darn good at it, and um, yeah, he moved around. Uh, he went to a number of stations. Actually, he just about broadcast uh, play by play with almost every one of the uh, CFL teams over his well, career. China, yeah, Saskatchewan, uh, BC. He did BC, he did Hamilton, he did Ottawa, he did Toronto. Uh, he didn't do, I don't think he ever did, didn't do Montreal, and he may not have done Calgary or, or maybe Edmonton. I think he did go do Calgary. I don't think he did Edmonton. So it would be Edmonton really? and Montreal would probably be the two he didn't do. But uh, 
or you know, Winnipeg game. I don't know. I don't think he would have ever called Winnipeg game, but but anyways, would, still. Would he would he spend time the day before the night before memorizing team? Uh, sorry, uh, numbers on on jerseys and, and guys' names, or he just seemed to know who was who. Yeah, no, yeah. I think that was more of it. I don't think he. I never saw him really doing any uh, pre-study of any teams ahead of time. I mean. I guess I shouldn't say that. I guess maybe what he would do is he would uh, get caught up on what uh, I guess the pre- there'd be press briefings and stuff on the teams and, and but he followed it so much that he followed the activity of the players. He knew a lot of the players. He was very entrenched in the CFL uh, overall, so he knew the players. He knew the game. So yeah, I, I think he didn't really have to do too much study during before the game really. Would you and your siblings ever go to the booth and, and watch and broadcast? Yeah, you know what? I had Perry on uh, to do uh, uh, do one of the podcasts, and he and I talked about that that in the early days back at Exhibition Stadium. We he and I have some really fond memories of going down to the games, and we'd wait around afterwards because he'd have to do the post game show. So we'd sit in the stands and we'd wait for him to to come down afterwards, and you know we. Often he'd meet and talk with some of the players as they came out, and we'd be standing there and get to get to meet some of the players, get some autographs, and get entertained that way. And it was always kind of neat. And even going to the games, like there was one moment where Perry recalled where we got there, and there was there was the King Clancy and Harold Ballard uh, pulling up in their car, and uh, you know just a lot of fond memories of, of stuff that went on back then. And that was back in the CFL heyday when the CFL was quite the thing. Oh so, yeah, yeah. So it was. Uh, it was pretty special. But yeah, lots of good memories that way. He, he, John would have called that famous or infamous game, likely, when uh, Leon McQuay dropped the ball. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah be, you, Perry and I touched on that as well, yeah. He did. Yeah, he called that, that one. A, he did. Okay, that was a great cup. I forget yeah. what year, like 73 or 4 or something like that. Yeah. Yeah, we... So, so you know, what you, you've helped us out in the... Uh, in the uh, like three years now, we did the uh, you know the Battle Memorial, and uh, you've helped us out with that golf tournament. And uh, certainly, uh, myself and the family really appreciate all the work and help that you've done to you know uh, pull all that together. And uh, so we you know want to thank you for that. Um, but oh, my what, pleasure. I, sorry, I couldn't be there last year. I had another commitment. And- yeah, I wanted, I wanted wanted to ask you that over the years, I've also you know come to know that you've been very involved in a lot of the outdoor stuff, the fishing stuff. Are you a fisherman yourself, or how did you get involved in that? Uh, I, I am a fisherman. I, I love fishing. I haven't done a lot of it in the past ten years. I'm doing more work around <laughs> it than actually enjoying it. But uh, I guess I just got a, a, the bug back in the '80s, and I used to watch Bob Zumi on TV. Right. And now I work with him, which is odd, and that's that's why I couldn't be at the golf tournament last August. He was, or we were organizing. Uh, Bob's Bob's not one to work; he's more one to pass stuff along. So I, I ended up doing most of the work, but it was the Pan American uh, Bass Tournament. So it was Mexico, U.S., Canada, and Aquasasti First Nation, four different countries represented, and that was held in Cornwall. So that took up a, a lot of last year, and the the pre qualifier was. Uh, the week of, of uh, John's golf tournament, so I wasn't able to be there last year. So yeah, we, we still do a lot of work with the Canadian Sport Fishing Industry Association, um, help with their communications and marketing. Uh, but again, I, you know, I'm not really fishing much. It's more promoting it. Which... Promoting, yeah. 
Well, yeah, I've known, I've known, and you've certainly you uh, have uh, you know brought in a number of uh, the prizes. Is are always nice, great fishing rods and great fishing. I go, wow, he's got he just got to be really well connected with the fishing industry, and uh, so that's quite something. And you know what, fishing, I I, I was uh, you know my son and I when we had the cottage, we he and I were right into the fishing, and uh, these are the kind of times that you look back and I go, gee, I'd like to do that again, and hopefully I can get back out and do some fishing and quieter times and and enjoy it but uh, like you say you get so busy with your work that you really don't get out and fish much yourself no yeah i'm not sure it's probably the same with golf you probably aren't golfing as much as you once were uh, that's true and i mean yeah. golf i haven't done it my golf every year seems to be getting less and less too so i don't know maybe we just got maybe i gotta retire and then <laughs> but uh so anyways the the golf tournament um we have discussed it, uh, you know, uh, Perry and Cheryl and Sean and I had a chat uh, this uh, this uh, winter and uh, had thought that we might move it to Oakville. Um, the thought there would be that um, uh, we want to see it evolve maybe a little bit differently, where maybe instead of being so much a, a John Batta Memorial, that it would be a Batam Invitational, which is kind of something we ran years ago, still honoring my dad's memory and everything else, but also bringing in a little bit more of the, uh, the the nephews and so on, and um, maybe the, they would be able to continue it and take it on, you know, past uh, down the road, uh, you know, a little bit of a legacy. So we we're hoping that could happen by bringing it this way. Plus, we're noticing that a lot of the attendees seem to be all coming from the Toronto area. So we thought maybe we, we would do that. Uh, with all this COVID stuff, who knows whether we'll even be able to pull it off this year. But uh, that's kind of the, the the angle we're looking at. We're still looking to support the bursary. Uh, you know, my dad's bursary, uh, we've, we got it funded and a lot of thanks to and help to, from you on that. But uh, we want to continue that, but we also want to bring in perhaps uh, one or two other charities as well. So, Good. Yeah, that's a great plan. Yeah. yeah, and you're right. Most of the players were coming from the GTA. Uh, for the first few years, uh, we had some Peterborough representation, but again, some of the Peterborough people are getting up there in years, right? Yeah, well, that's that's the thing, and that's exactly what's happened. A lot of people have uh, have gotten older, and uh, they're either some aren't around or some are not able to play, so not uh, not right. able to get involved in the way that they'd like to. So we recognize that, and we recognize also ourselves are getting older. So we're looking at maybe you know I'll bring in. The, and try and get uh, my son and Perry's boys, the the, the younger Batam generation, to hopefully take it over and continue it. So this is a way to do that. Yeah, that's yeah. a good idea. Yeah. So um, you you were mentioning on the top at the top uh, that uh, you're doing some stuff now with uh, some commercial work, and uh, so what is it you're you're doing now? A lot of the stuff we're doing now is COVID related. Okay. Uh, we're doing some commercials for politicians. Uh, the county of Peterborough uh, has some messages out. Uh, we're just working on one now for seasonal residents who live in the GTA. So it won't be advertised here, but we'll do some stuff online, also on, on Checks Durham, just to encourage people. And this is a tough one. They're encouraging cottagers to stay home and not come to their cottage. Yeah. Uh, you know, they can't enforce that, but they're just asking politely can you please just wait uh but it's a tough message because mm-hmm. the businesses that rely on the cottagers are looking at the county saying hang on a second that's our customer base and you're telling them to stay home but it's for good reason and and you know hopefully it's not for long but right now they're just asking people to stay home and <clears throat> come to the cottage um so 
Uh, and I know I, I know a number of people that I've talked to that that get a little um, upset about it because they're going, hey, you know what? It's my cottage. I pay taxes. I want to go up there. If I want to go to my cottage, they don't get it. I mean, and then I've talked to people that live locally up north, and they say, well, you know, we don't want them coming up here because if they, you know, happen to start bringing the virus this way, we don't have the infrastructure to to help or support that. So again, you can see both ends of this one. Oh, for sure. And I've talked to people who. Uh, have cottages or cabins north of Peterborough, and one guy in particular said, you know, I stock up here, I go to my cabin, I don't see anyone along the way, I don't stop along the way, and I'm there for two or three days and I come straight home. Yeah. So what's the harm in that? And there is no harm, really. There's no argument against that. Exactly. But uh, it's, I think a lot of it at first had to do with if there is an influx of new or more residents and the hospital gets overwhelmed, what happens then? Yeah, uh, that is the, that's the big word. That. Yeah, they haven't seen that. So, I mean, hopefully, no. hopefully, uh, as the weather warms up, uh, it stays that way. Because I can see right now, I mean, there's probably not as much traffic going that way. But as soon as this weather starts to warm up, it's going to be interesting to see how everybody starts to react. And uh, okay, we're all yeah. we're all cabin bound mostly. So I think people are going to yeah. really want to desperately get out and do something. So I'm not sure what that's going to look like. But I even myself, I'm looking forward to just getting outside a little bit more. Yeah, and, and I think Doug Ford mentioned uh, earlier this week that that would probably be the first area they would open up is things related to the outdoors. Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't get the, the trail system being closed. That makes absolutely no sense to me. Um, and, you know, we were talking before uh, the podcast, but I wonder what John would think of all of this, but I'm sure you have an opinion <laughs> on, on that stuff. Yeah, I would like to see him do a strictly personal on this. Yeah. yeah. Probably I mean, we take our dog for a walk downtown we run into at least a half dozen people every time we do that on a trail we'd be you know lucky to see one person so it doesn't make any sense that they've closed the trails well we i get but yeah we've got trails here and uh, they are in fact quite busy actually we uh we'll get out and walk and we'll look around within no time at all somebody's either biking past us or walking past us it's almost like everybody's thinking the same thing so there is some element here, but then the density is very, very much different here than it is uh, in Peterborough. Yeah, so your trails are open. Yeah, they're open here. Oh, interesting. Yeah. Yeah, so, you know, so all the communication stuff we're dealing with around COVID, and I'll be honest, it gets depressing after a while. Because um, yeah. it's not a fun topic, really. No, and it's, a, it's a, I think we're finally getting to that point where maybe it's been everything that you can think of it's been talked about so uh, you know we seem to be uh, overwhelming for the first few weeks and it's finally starting to sort of simmer down a bit the more i start to hear more conversations about well once we're out of this or how do we get out of this or that you know talking about getting out of the back end of it more than than what's in front of us so um that's probably a good sign yeah yeah, I feel the same way. Yeah. Yeah, so do you typically work, uh, are you working out of home or do you have a studio somewhere where you work out of? Or? Well, about 10 years ago, I used to have a, a, an office and studio above the radio station, actually, at George and King. And okay. We decided to consolidate. We were living in Bridge North, so we bought this century home downtown, uh, made it into three floors. There was a nice size attic, so we created a floor on the third level. And we live and work here. So we've got, you know, two kitchens, two living rooms, two, you know, a bunch of three bathrooms and, and living quarters on top to the studio and the office 
or on the main level, although we use the main level for, for personal use as well. Um, so, uh, you know, this thing about working from home during COVID, I've been doing that for like 10 years. <laughs> yeah, so it's not a not a big stretch for you. No, not at all. But the people who work with me, like Jess, my daughter, works for us, and Marcy uh, Lukianchuk is our audio producer. They're working from home now. We've got them set up to, yeah. to be able to access files here. Marcy can record and produce stuff at home. So it's uh, they're not coming here right now, but uh, we're still getting some work done. Yeah, so the... Um... They got a good setup there. I mean, for me, it's very new to work at. I I've always had an office in my home, and but very rarely did I do a lot of work in here. I mean, I would come and do emails and stuff, but now I'm having to do everything. I've got my office computer here now. I'm all set up to to operate uh, do my work here, and it's uh, a big adjustment for me. But uh, you know what? I it's funny because uh, I've had a conversation with a number of people about this and you, you know, the, the corp, you know, the, you know, I'm at the, with the bank and a number of these financial firms have been sort of angling over the years to kind of get people set up to work more remotely. Um, boy, is this, this baptism by fire. Now everybody's going to, everybody's going to have the ability to work remotely and you're going to wonder what that's going to do for the bricks and bricks and mortar. Uh, no one needs an office anymore. You, I'm sure they'll want to go to an office, but I mean, it's really going to be easy to work from home now. I think it's going to change things permanently. Maybe not for everyone, but uh, for example, Shimano is based here, and, and I actually had lunch just before everything hit the fan in March. Uh, bef- just before March break, I had lunch with Bill Scullion, who's the, the manager at Shimano. And at that point, Shimano had stopped all air travel for their employees. I think they did that back in February, um, and which was, it was a little premature compared to what other companies were doing at that time. But again, based in Japan, they had a better handle on what was going on. And Bill said that night he was going to go into Shimano around two in the morning for a teleconference with Japan. And he said, it's a pain in the neck, but boy, it sure beats traveling to Japan for the meeting. And he said, I think from now on, this is how it's going to work. Why would companies pay all that money to fly, you know, employees yeah. from California, Toronto, Peterborough, and put them up in hotels and, and meals and travel when they can just have a teleconference? Yeah, and now that everybody's getting proficient at it, it's going to be a tough argument to, to not do it. Yeah, exactly. exactly. And now, you know, things like Zoom, everybody's getting online and doing video chats, so... That's becoming the new norm. So it'll be interesting to see, as you say, what's going to happen to the, the bricks and mortar after uh, after this. Yeah, well, we, I think we're we're at a I call it a nine eleven moment where you know everything the world yeah. changed at nine eleven. It's going to change after this as well. And, and I mean, where a lot of people are trying to figure out what the changes will be, but I'm sure there's going to be a lot of things that spin out of this that we had no idea would. But it's yeah. going to be a new world. Absolutely, I'm convinced of that. What do you think your dad's opinion would have been about everything that's going on because this really is life-changing yeah uh you know what i i uh, racked my brains over that one i i geez, i would love to to be able to have a conversation with him and say you know what do you what do you think of all this and um yeah i don't know what he would say uh, he would be probably no different than you and i kind of scratching our heads you know i don't i don't know yeah i, I don't think anyone's yeah i mean he'd have some strong opinions that's for sure but I don't know uh, in terms of you know what uh, pearls of wisdom he would be sharing at this point. I, I wonder if he would have been one of 
the people in that age range to kind of dismiss this as, oh, you know, we do so much. <laughs> it's quite possible, yeah. <laughs> <You know? laughs> that wouldn't, that's a good point. I, I, that wouldn't shock me. He might be just going, ah, you know what, it's, it, it's the flu. Because <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> when you think of it, people in their late 70s and early, mid-80s, they've been through a lot more. I mean, this is a different kind of beast, but still, they've seen... Well, 1957, there was a pandemic. I didn't even know that until recently. Yeah. So, you know, that generation has lived through a lot of different things. Um, and, and maybe they took, took it a little bit lightly at first. I don't know. Yeah, he may ta- he may have taken that approach. To, uh, he may have also looked at it and said, you know, this is uh, people need to take this seriously and, uh, and do what they're told. He could have been maybe taking that approach as well. So I'm not real sure. It's, uh, it's hard to say. Yeah. But uh, nonetheless, <laughs> there would have been an opinion one way or the other. Oh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> you can be sure yeah. of that. Uh, I just I thought of something that uh, you asked me earlier, one of my favorite moments, and I really don't have a favorite moment, but I do have a really good memory of uh, <laughs> of a, a joke we played on, on April's, April 1st. It was always tough to come up with something oh, on April oh, Fool's Day. And that, would, that, of course, was his birthday, right? <laughs> yeah, that's right. That's right. <laughs> Of course, you guys must have been howling at that one. for you mike i mean going going forward like what's what do you what do you look any uh, aspirations for the future in terms of what you know different from what you're doing or you're looking at retiring at any point what are, what are your thoughts of the future um that's a good question uh, donna's my wife donna's retiring this year from teaching uh so that's going to present some changes oh yeah <laughs> <laughs> I, I've been trying to convince her to change her mind uh, but uh i don't know i mean Again, uh, your dad is is a model for me, and I've used him as an example a number of times. When people people have asked me, you know, what are you going to, you know, maybe sell the business or just wind it down and and do nothing? I, why would I do that? I used to ask John that. Uh, do you think you'll ever retire? And his answer was always the same thing. He said, "What would I do? I'd go to Tim Hortons, newspaper, <laughs> right. and I would read the paper and drink coffee." He said, "I, I do that now, and I get paid for it." Yeah, that's exactly uh, right. And I thought, well, yeah, exactly. He did what he loved, and he did it almost right to the end. Yeah, I mean, there's no reason for you to stop doing really what you're doing. I mean, if you if you are able to get uh, to do what you're doing and have the freedom of time to do what you want to do outside of work and and what you're doing, then why would you? Why would you stop? I mean, uh, yeah, exactly. Yeah. So. Um, and, you, and you're and, he's, and you're right. You have to, I, you know, you're fine. You got to keep doing something. I mean, to sit around and like retirement's almost become a bad word. 
And, yeah. yeah. I mean, what is what is retirement? It, to me, it's doing something you want to do. And if what you're doing now is enjoyable and it's not really like work, then why would you stop doing it? It yeah. doesn't make any sense to me. Um, and, you know, John worked, I think he was on air a few months before he passed. Um, and to me, that is an inspiration. That's like, why not? Yeah. <laughs> why not just yeah. be, You know, guys like Ted Rogers, he worked right to the end. Absolutely. Um, yeah, so, you know, unless you have a burning desire to do something else, which, you know, is fine, then, then as long as you're doing something, but to sit around and watch yeah. TV or, or do nothing, I think, is not healthy. you got to have hobbies or something. Well, good to hear that you're, uh, you know, you want to continue with all of that. That's uh, that's great. And uh, yet your life is uh, in Peterborough predominantly for you. And uh, I mean, hopefully we will get through this COVID thing and we'll be able to have the golf tournament and uh, love to have you out for that again. And yeah, absolutely. Um, they, that would be a lot of fun and uh, maybe a good, good, you know, be all this pent up uh, stuff. We'll be really wanting to get out and do it. Um, yeah. But uh, having said that, uh, just sort of winding this up, what I always ask uh, my podcast guests is uh, I like to end it on a, a musical song of some sort. And I always say, do you have a favorite song you want to end on or something you want to suggest musically? And I will input it at the end of our podcast. Putting you on oh, the spot. Okay. <laughs> um, you know, I have, I don't have it, well, I have it queued up, but I don't think it would sound great over the phone. Um, I have a song that Jay Sharp wrote and recorded called Big John. Okay. Yeah. Which is about your dad. Okay. And uh, uh, I mean, I've got it queued up. I, I sent it to your aunt Margaret a couple of years ago, so I've got it on my my Facebook Messenger page, but I don't know if the quality would be that great to play it over the phone. So okay. why don't I get a copy of it and I'll send it to you. Sounds good. All right, yeah, why don't you yeah, send that over and uh, we'll, uh, we'll, we'll play it at the end of the podcast here. That sounds good. Yeah, it's, it's, it's quite humorous, and uh, I think John was tickled when Jay, Jay did it. Yeah, all right. Um, all right, on that, then I would say, Mike, thank you for, for coming on with me today, and I really enjoyed uh, chatting with you, and uh, I wish you and your family, obviously, all the best, and stay safe and, and look after yourselves through this, and well, let's hope we can get together in the summertime for, for some catch-up and some golf. That'd be great. I, I'd love to be there, Paul, and, and thank you for inviting me to be on, on the podcast. Anytime it's about uh, about your dad, I'm there. All right, Paul. Well, listen, nice chatting with you, and keep me posted about the golf tournament. Will do. All righty. Uh, and I'll see, see what files I can find here, and I'll send them down to you. All right, Mike. Have a good weekend. All right. You too. Thanks, Paul. Yep, thank you. Bye-bye. Every morning at the station, you'll see him arrive. He stands six foot six and weighs 245, kind of broad at the shoulder with feminine hips. He turns on the mic and starts a flapping his lips. Big John. Big John. Big John. Big bad John. Nobody seems to know where John calls home He just drifts into the cruise and works all alone He says quite a bit when he's doing the news And after he's done, he likes a snifter of booze Big John He's got a lot of views on the local scene He'll repeat his opinion so you know what he means And if you got the nerve to question the man He's bound to send you off to the promised land Big John Big John
Big Bad John. Big John. So it's here today with a crowd on the street that we sing about John while we're longing for heat. So cold outside that it's making us fret. But John stays warm with his lit cigarette, Big John. Through the snow and the frost that makes winter hell booms a voice from the heavens that we all know so well. Through the radio static with a bellowing moan, he ad-libs the news so you don't feel alone, Big John. Big John, Big John, Big Bad John. So we've written this tune to pay tribute to the man When he's not on the air, you'll find him on the can Newspaper in his lap and a smirk on his lips For all council members, he's got a few tips, Big John He's a well-read boy from a prairie town With the voice of doom and the mind of a clown He's bound to slap you on the shoulder and say, how do you do? But if you treat him unkind, you'll be tasting his shoe, Big John Big Bad John. Big John. Now if John could sing, he'd be singing this bit, but he can't carry a tune even a little bit. So he'll speak this next part as only John can. Behind this microphone sits a big, big man. Big John. Big John. Big John. A big bad John.